it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and cheerfully admits it may struggle to read its own handwriting, having started the script several hours after Palace beat Spurs. I'm Kevin Day, he's Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire, and Kieran, yes, well done, Brighton won as well, big whoop. Uh, uh, but talking of pubs, Kieran, you need to know that your reputation precedes you. Oh, lordy. Oh, yes, indeed, because you know, we normally record this on a Sunday morning, as our listeners know, but... Uh, late, late on Saturday evening, um, I announced to the pub that I had to go, and the and the pub said, "No, stay for a few more drinks." <laughs> and somebody said, "Why don't you ask Kieran if he can do it a bit later tomorrow, just to give you a bit of leeway?" So I thought that was a good idea. So I I texted you, Kieran, and then I had to tell everyone that you'd said I can't, I can't do later because I'm seeing the Sisters of Mercy. And five people, five people immediately said, what, he's going back to Moscow? <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> which, which I thought, which I thought was... <laughs> um, and talking of pubs, Kieran, how was your pre-match gastropub meal with our regular listener, Stuart Hatcher? Uh, it was absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, the the pilot in Chiswick uh, was, uh, was superb. Um, and of course, you're invited there. Uh, uh, Stuart was was a, a very good host and uh, kept us entertained. And uh, Brentford's new ground is one of those grounds which, as an away fan, people will love because mm. it's got a low roof. You're all there, pretty crammed in together, and you can make an awful lot of noise. Uh, uh, Stuart, mental note: don't try and entertain me. It won't work. <laughs> never, never try and entertain a comedian. You just get the Mount Rushmore look in return. It's it's questions day, Kieran. But I, I include this one news item, partly I have to say by way of a teaser for an interview that we have on our next show. Oldham tried to ban their own fans from buying tickets for the away game at Leighton Orient on Saturday, but Leighton Orient wouldn't play ball. Yes, uh, it looks as if Oldham are trying to make things awkward for their fans uh, to attend matches, both home and away, um, by effectively not selling certainly away away tickets uh, in advance as you would normally acquire them. But Leighton Orient put out a uh, they put out a release. Yeah, it, ultimately, it's their money, remember, and, yeah. and there is supposed to be a uh, you know a, a gentleman's agreement that we all support each other. So uh, Leighton Orient said, we will uh, have tickets uh, available on the day. 
um, and we will allow Oldham fans to bring in flags and banners. And, and my understanding is that uh, the Oldham fans were impeccably behaved. Um, some of them were wearing tangerine wicks for, for reasons which we'll have to find out in due course. <laughs> I'm not quite sure of the logic behind that one. Um, and, uh, you know, sadly for, for Oldham, they lost the match 4-0, which I think is indicative of, uh, you know, the problems that the club has got on and off the pitch. Yeah, I, I can, I can see, I can't see the club, so I'm, I'm trying to be, um, neutral here, Kieran. I'm trying to be a grown up podcast host here, which will surprise many people listening to this, but I, I can see for a, for an away game, the angry, Oldham owners won't lose any money by trying to ban fans, trying to ban troublemaking fans, as they would call them. But the home games, they're, they're stopping so many people from buying tickets now that they think oh, aren't the right sort of fan that they're going to be losing a, a fortune on match day, which which can't help. Can, you know, they, it's like they're banning the the Atleticos, their you know their ultras, who are basically a, a, a group of passionate young fans. So that's money they're not getting in. I can't understand their logic. Um. For some people, they will put uh, ego and vanity above uh, financial common sense, uh, and this appears to be the case at Oldham. Um, so, you know, clearly their lines are drawn. Uh, we've seen what has happened at other clubs when there has been a uh, a, a serious uh, fallout between club owners and uh, and fan groups. Um, there's, I think, there's got to be. You know, if, if if there's to be any form of reconciliation, communication, transparency, all the things which we've we've tried to echo since the, the start of the podcast, mm. uh, would be uh, would would be appropriate. It's uh, yeah, no nobody at Oldham wants the club to to be where it is. Uh, you know, currently propping up League Two. Yeah, well, we'll be talking to Oldham fans on uh, Wednesday. We have put a request into the club to talk to the owners, uh, and none of us are holding our breath, to be honest. I'm going to tell Ali that you said some people put ego and vanity above financial common sense, just to see, <laughs> just to see, <laughs> just to see the look on her face. So, questions day, Kieran, and we have some good questions as ever. And our first one comes from James. Uh, James says, it's been a while now since Simon Sadler took over at Blackpool FC and ended our Oyston nightmare. Um, and that's a name we've used many times on this pod. What's the latest picture at Blackpool at the moment? Um, now Simon Sadler is a hedge fund manager from Blackpool who said rescuing the club was his civic duty. So we like him. But how are things are at Blackpool now? Well, in the... First year of Simon Sadler's uh, ownership, the the club's revenue went up by twenty percent, and this this was on the back of the uh, the boycott, uh, which was arranged by uh, Blackpool fan groups such as the Tangerine Knights. Mm. They had the "Not a Penny More" campaign uh, following the behaviour of the Oyston family in in the way that uh, the club was run. For people not familiar uh, with uh, with Blackpool, Blackpool were promoted to the Premier League, um, and uh, in in the in their one season in the Premier League, the the Oyston family didn't increase the wage bill. In fact, the wage bill. Uh, for the players, I think just about fell 
uh, which is which is unheard of for a club in its first season in the Premier League. But they they did pay themselves uh, eleven million pounds mm. as effectively as consultancy fees and dividends, um, and they just used uh, Blackpool Football Club as, as a vehicle to uh, financially support some of their other businesses, which is perfectly legal. But uh, as you can understand it from a from a Blackpool fan's perspective, this was this was very disappointing, um, and also I, th- I think as as football fans, and, and this was something we we were talking to somebody senior in football recently. He said every time I put out a press release from the club before it gets published, I'd always want to say, "Will the fans buy into this? Does this re- represent mm. the values?" that are held by the fan base. And, and this is where football clubs sometimes can fall down. And having somebody like Owen Oyston associated with the club is is going to put you deeply into the negative uh, before you start. And and then, then when um, the club started suing fans uh, for things that they've said, and sometimes fans do, you know, they, they go over what is acceptable – um, you know, this for further entrenched viewpoints. So um, they've come from a long way. Um, Simon Sadler is keen to invest in the, the training facilities. The club is now in the championship, which is a tremendous achievement. Their last wage bill was on yeah, 3K a week compared to 15 is the average in the championship. So I suspect the wage bill will go up this season, but at least they will have the benefit of uh, more of the, the TV monies because uh, in in the championship, 80% of the EFL's TV money goes to clubs in the championship and, and the other 20% is shared in the lower two divisions. Yeah, we firmly share the belief, Kieran, that every club is historically important. We know that. It means the world to its supporters. But some clubs have a more historical significance than others and owners of those clubs are beholden, I think, to recognise that. And the Oystons didn't. Every every football fan, even an eight-year-old by osmosis, if they're a football fan in a football family, would have heard of Blackpool. They'll know about the Tangerine kit. They'll know about the Stanley Matthews final. They'll know that Blackpool was a traditional powerhouse of a club. So when people own that club... That should be acknowledged. And Simon Sadler, it seems to me, has done that. And also I thought it was very interesting. I was reading an interview last night by him. He's, when he, he he says, and he wants to make the distinction that it's, it's his money that's bought the football club, not the hedge funds. Is That's important, presumably, isn't it? Y- yes, because a hedge fund is looking for a financial return on investment. And from looking at Simon Sadler's comments, his focus is he was, you know, he, he was lucky enough to have grown up in Blackpool. He's got a, he's got an affection as most people do have for for you know their hometown, and he's been successful in business, and he wants to reinvest his money, which he which he's earned, you know, from from being a success in 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 his private business. So um, this means that the investors in the hedge fund they don't need to worry about uh, you know whether money is being put into a football club, which is let's face it, it's probably going to lose money. Um, and and Blackpool fans can I think have some comfort in the sense that uh, they know that that money's not going to be started to be demanded back because it's coming from Simon himself and and, mm. and not the the, the organisation he represents. 
Our next question comes from Alan Marples. And Alan says that he's a Sheffield Wednesday fan who has also followed Glasgow Rangers results from afar since the 1990s, which I think, Alan, sounds to me like a euphemism for I support two teams. <laughs> I think you're allowed to have a Scottish team. That's okay. Now, Alan's question is this. Why were Rangers back in the 90s when I started supporting them forward slash following their results from afar? Why were they able to attract big names such as Laudrup, Gascoigne, Rickson, the De Boers and many more? Were they merely living beyond their means back then or is Scottish football simply less desirable now? Um, well, I... I did some spreadsheet ferreting, which is not a euphemism for for anything else. (laughs) It's the best sort of ferreting, Kieran, as far as I'm concerned. Um, (laughs) It's a sordid image, isn't it? (laughs) Indeed. Kieran, what are you doing up there? Nothing, nothing, Mum. I'm just. Are you spreadsheet ferreting again? No. (laughs) I have to clean them, you know. I once, uh, this is this is apropos of that subject. I, I, I once said to a friend of mine, his his son was a proper teenager. Yeah. I said, how's he getting? I said, he's all right. So Tom is at the moment, we have to change his sheets with a toffee hammer. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, get, get, getting back to, to Rangers. Um in in 1992-93, um, Glasgow Rangers generated the second highest revenue of any club in the UK. They were only behind Manchester United. And to give give you an, in, an insight into just to how big Glasgow Rangers were at that time, they were generating twice the amount of income as Chelsea and Manchester City. Wow! So so that's that, and that was in the very first season. Of the Premier League, and um, was, was was that off the back of huge crowds? It was, was that- huge crowds. They had good sponsorship deals. Mm. Um, you know, Scottish football was was on a roll, uh, and even Celtic were Celtic were generating more revenue than than Chelsea and Manchester City mm. um, as well. So you know the and since then uh, the the Premier League has been amazingly successful. So we've got Rangers revenue has trebled in the what the 27 28 seasons since then whereas Manchester City's has gone from 8 million to 478. Wow. So yes. Rangers has gone from 20 to 59. So so what's happened is that the the Premier League has been a juggernaut and uh Scottish football uh for you know a, a variety of reasons ultimately it's it's a smaller country. Um, it's uh, it in those days it, it didn't have the this, I think the same vision of the of the Premier League in in selling international rights and and the Premier League got overseas first so that's why the Premier League generates more money from TV than La Liga Bundesliga and so on they mm. got there first to these other countries um, the broadcasters realised that. Uh, the Premier League rights was the one product that stopped people cutting the cord, and therefore they were willing to pay more and more for them. Mm. Um, and everybody else has been tra- trailing in the wake. So uh, it's it's not that Scottish football has been unsuccessful; it's just the Premier League has, has just blown everybody uh, in the rest of world football out of the water. Yeah, because I I'm always surprised. I imagined for Rangers and Celtic. It would be an easy sell to get decent overseas players or even decent uh, 
English players to come. You know, decent wages, virtually guaranteed European football of some sort, wonderful place to live. And yet, as Alan points out, those days of, of English players flocking north of the border have long gone, haven't they? Yes. I mean, if, if you take a look at um, Rangers' wage bill, it is, yeah, it, it's higher than most clubs in the championship, but not all. But right. it's, you know, it's, it's between uh, a half and an eighth of that of the Premier League. Oh, so right. You, okay. So, uh, you know, where, where do players want to go? Well, they, yes, yeah, certainly, you know, the prospect of European football is, is something, but you've got to be in the Champions League group stages. Um, and then there is the, the the glamour of the Premier League, mm. uh, which which is unsurpassed. You know, Sc- Scottish football is very much focused on the two Glasgow clubs, um, whereas I think it's, it's the interest is broader. Um, and you know, if you're an international player playing at Ibrox or Celtic Park, you know, eat once a fortnight would would be you know fantastic. Very passionate fans. But even if you come to a mid-tier club in the Premier League, going to I sorry, going to Anfield, Old Trafford, the Etihad, the Emirates, you know, Stamford Bridge, they, they, these are these are you know, footballers are still kids, the yeah. same we are in terms of certain aspects of football, and being able to go to those iconic places is is another attraction. We're kids in a lot of aspects of life. <laughs> <We are>. <laughs> <laughs> You only have to listen to the jokes we've been laughing at early on in this pod. Yeah, yeah, it's funny because we we attracted Odson Edouard down from Celtic, who made his debut yesterday, scoring two goals in six minutes, which is unprecedented for us. Um, in the pub afterwards, this, this young fellow saying, oh, I feel a bit sorry for Benteke because Edouard was just like, happened to be in the right place at the right time, didn't he? And it's like, that's the exact definition of a striker. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's exact, that's exact, <laughs> Benteke should be sitting on the bench going, oh, there. Oh, I see. Right, gotcha. Um, our next question comes from Ray Challenger. Which what a is, name. What, what a, a name. name. That's one of our better names, isn't it? Ray Challenger. There, there must be an episode of Thunderbird somewhere that includes the words, get me Ray Challenger. <laughs> there are some miners trapped underground. We need Ray Challenger. It's a, it's a great name, and it's also a great, if slightly disturbing question, Kieran. Um and Ray says, although we haven't lost clubs to COVID as things stand, do you feel this is more to do with government tax relief, furlough and various other schemes and that the real danger of losing clubs will come when these schemes end and some monies may have to be paid back? Which is a, a fair point, Kieran, because many people in my industry had mortgage holidays, tax, VAT deferrals, which were very welcome at the time, but we'll be paying those back for the next three years. Mm. So what seemed brilliant at the time is actually causing financial problems in the near future. So is that possibly the same for football? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, I think the the policies of the government through the furlough scheme, tax delay um, and so on, gave the football industry breathing space. And, and we only lost Macclesfield Town. Um, and if we're honest, Macclesfield Town were not lost due to COVID. COVID, yeah. Yeah, it didn't help, but it was a combination of um, poor ownership, uh, which had been, you know, the, the wages weren't being paid, and what appeared to be a, a fairly uh, concentrated effort by the EFL to get 
Macclesfield Town out of the 92 or out of the 91 uh, because they could see they could see the writing on the wall and they didn't want the same degree of attention that arose when when Berry went bust so mm. you know that that was achieved Macclesfield Town went bust uh, in in sort of the what's re- what sometimes referred to as the Biffin Bridge uh, between uh, <laughs> when you are relegated from the EFL and before you formally join the National yeah. League. Mm. Um, and uh, so, so I think football's done well, uh, but we've also got to give credit. You know, the EFL has advanced TV monies, um, and some of the clubs are under sort of these these things called monitored loans. The Premier League, after enough people shouted at it, did give loans and grants worth fifty million pounds. Um, wages have topped off or topped out, uh, especially in the lower leagues. I think, yeah, there's, there's evidence, I think, especially in League Two, that wage levels have come down. Um, and you've, you've also got to be grateful for the fact that owners have stuck their hands in the pockets, as, as they have done historically. And many fans have, have done their own right thing. Well, not right thing, but you know, they were in a position to be able to uh, – support the club by deferring season ticket refunds or donating them to the club and you know we we've muddled through but but the uh, the, the core issues of the problems of finances uh within football have not gone away they've just been amplified by covid um and you know we are, we are not out of the woods by a long way it's quite a bold claim Kieran uh, that you've made before that the EFL kind of waved Macclesfield out, if you like. Um, and it's going on to the list of questions that we will ask the EFL. We've we've had indications from the EFL that somebody <clears throat> very senior there will talk to us. They just want to take a little bit of a deep breath and hear more of our voice on the pod first, but they are going to talk to us. So that's something we will, we will put to them. I, rem- I remember, Kieran, as COVID hit on a particularly bad pessimistic day that we had you predicted that we could lose up to 40 clubs and we haven't done that and but do you think there's any risk that we will lose any of those clubs genuinely because of having to pay back government furlough schemes etc um well had had the furlough schemes the the loans from the EFL the advances from the Premier League had those not taken place uh, we we would have lost a significant number of clubs so you, you've You've got to give plaudits to all involved there. Um, I, I think there is far less chance of clubs going to the wall, but uh, yeah, as, as we've seen with Oldham, there are problems. Uh, yeah, we 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 are we are becoming friendly with far too many supporters groups, and yes, yeah, it, yeah. it's not because we don't want to be friendly with supporters groups, but we're dealing with supporters groups who of clubs who are in crisis. So yeah, we, we've spoken to the likes of Newcastle, Swindon, uh, Rochdale, and, and now yeah, we're having Oldham, Oldham on the show. Yeah. We've also spoken to people in non-league. Um, so there, there are ongoing issues. Um, the the governance problems within football, the lack of desire for scrutiny, the, the lack of desire for transparency by the people in charge of clubs. Because you know it's my club, I, it's it's a company, it's it's my company, my own. It's nothing to do with you. That applies to well, that applies legally to all companies. It you can understand if you're a if you're a washing machine parts manufacturer why that would be the case. 
But I think the argument, and, and this was something which was very much highlighted by Tracy Crouch's interim report um, to, to Oliver Dowden, is that football clubs mean more than that. Um, and uh, if, 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 if the government accepts that, then some form of change to governance, I think, is, is likely to be on the cards. Mm. Andy Adams has our next question and Andy says with the announcement that the Dutch and Belgian leagues will combine how close does that bring us to an Atlantic league and where will that leave the rest of Scottish football if it happens my instinct Kieran is that it takes us further from an Atlantic league because the Dutch and Belgian leagues clearly aren't inviting Scottish clubs or Norwegian clubs or any of the other potential clubs in the Atlantic league to join them Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, when the Atlantic League was first discussed, and this was around about 2001, at the time it was Scotland, Portugal, Belgium, and the Netherlands. Now mm. it looks as if clearly the Belgium and the Netherlands have, have gone off, uh, you know, to to uh, you know further explore uh, a, a joint proposal. Um, the Scandinavian leagues have come into play, so Denmark and Norway could could join up with Scotland and potentially Ireland as well. So, you know, that, that, that would give us a, that would give those, those countries a sort of a, a critical mass. Um, and, and I believe that uh, JP Morgan, who were, uh, has to be said, the bank behind Super League, mm. um, they have had talks with some of the football authorities, according to some reports, with, with a view to working out whether this is feasible. But uh, Dermot Desmond, who's the owner of Celtic, uh, he refused to play ball. I think without Scottish involvement, um, I'm, I'm not convinced it, it, you, you would have enough uh, gravity uh, of of the competition to necessarily make it worthwhile, and the the other issue, sort of the other sort of flying the ointment, is presently you know, we, we're talking about three or four countries who individually are entitled to UEFA, UEFA places. So mm. you know, conceivably, you could have uh, you know two clubs from Portugal, two clubs from Scotland, uh, you know, one or two clubs from Denmark and so on, going into the Champions League uh, on an individual basis. If they then combine into a single competition, if we're honest, they're going to be sharing one or two places between them all. And yeah, is that actually in the interests of the bigger clubs in those divisions? Yeah, have you seen any, <clears throat> excuse me, have you seen any indication of how the Dutch and Belgian League combination will work will it be you know the top six from each each country go into a separate league how's hi i'm steve lamack and every week i'm joined by music allies head of insight stuart dredge on the price of music the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry in each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Um, that that would appear to be the case with the um, with the lower with the clubs who fall below the threshold effectively joining up with the equivalent of their second division, and then what happens in terms of promotion and relegation? Because you know what happens, for example, if it's 
you know, two up, two down, or three up, three down, and all three clubs from the Netherlands finish mm. in the bottom three positions, do they automatically get you know filled by three clubs from the Netherlands, or should it be the champions of the the Belgian feeder league, for want of a better league? So th- there's there's a lot of detail um and and that's the problem yeah when when you start to look at it from a from a project management point of view for every solution there tends to be another two or three problems arising uh, and it's it's going to be uh it's, it's going to involve an awful lot of of hard work uh should it ever come to light to to make sure that you don't end up in you know in, in 10 years time with with a super league or sorry so with a a combined belgian and netherlands league which consists of say 10 clubs from the Netherlands and two from Belgium or vice versa, because you, then, you, then you've lost sort of the, the original logic behind it. Well, see, there you've hit the biggest the problem on the head, because I think most football fans would, would accept that Dutch football is probably slightly ahead of Belgian football. So there will need to be some way of making sure it's equal. But then broadcasters are going to say, well, we want the clubs that are traditionally more successful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, tr- it's trying to, trying to keep everybody happy and, what what is the driver behind all of this? Well, it's money. Uh, yeah, yeah, at present, yeah. Uh, Belgium, whilst it's producing superb individual footballers, um, it the uh, the the Jupiter League, uh, which which is Belgium's national competition, that doesn't generate huge amounts of, of revenue on its own rights from broadcasting. So, therefore, combining with other leagues, so you've got to keep the broadcasters happy. But you know, if if you You've got to keep the fans happy as well because they're the people paying for the subscriptions. Mm. Our next question, Kieran, comes from Victoria Zhang. Uh, I hope I've pronounced that correctly. It's spelt J-H-O-N-G, um, and I believe that's how it's pronounced, Victoria. If it's not, my apologies. But this is a very interesting question. Victoria asks, did the 2008-09 financial crisis see a rise in surprise relegations? If so, could the pandemic see a similar short-term effect? Um. If, if we take a look at relegation in 2008-9, from the Premier League, it was Newcastle, Middlesbrough and West Brom. Um, I think Newcastle were uh, having a hangover from uh, the newly arrived Mike Ashley. So that was a contributory <laughs> factor. If we take a look at the championship, Norwich, Southampton and Charlton. You know, I, you know, I, mm. you, I, I would, yeah, most people have been surprised that, that two clubs of... <laughs> of the size of Norwich and Southampton were relegated. So um, it, it certainly adds some credence to, to Victoria's comments. However, I went into another spreadsheet. <laughs> and it, did you ferret, ferret in this one or just no ferret? <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just glad you were sitting down when I said that, because you know, otherwise you'd have, been, you'd have been gobsmacked, wouldn't you? And I could be what... gobsmacked sitting down, Kieran. You don't have to be standing up to be gobsmacked. <laughs> Um, and, and as far as the Premier League was concerned, um, whilst there was a global financial crisis, the football was relatively immune from it because it, it hit the financial industry, the finance industry, to a greater extent um, than, than than something which is consumed in, in in the way that football is. So Premier League income actually increased by five percent that season and transfer spend was the second highest in the history of the Premier League, which I think is indicative to a certain extent of of the bubble in which we exist in football, in terms of football. Uh, and, and we've seen similar with, with regards to COVID, sort of linking it to Victoria's comments. You, you know, we, we've just come off a season where clubs have had 
we might as well say zero. Yeah, having a couple of matches uh, for, for for small crowds, you know, was pretty close to zero income in coming through the turnstiles. And yet, in the Premier League, it still managed to find a billion pounds to spend uh, in the transfer mm. market. Um, and uh, yeah, certainly, there's been there's been caution lower down the leagues. But if you talk to some of the people that uh, support League One clubs, uh, I think League One spending has been quite phenomenal by by its standards. So football sort of exists outside of reality uh, in in certain aspects, and the the financial crisis which was caused uh, by uh, short selling and uh, unusual financial instruments. And, and I, I used I used to teach a course on uh, on Wall Street called Creative Accounting for Bankers. Um, and after the 2007-8, uh, after the 2008-9 crisis, I was no longer allowed to teach that course. Oh, really? Mm. Yes. Well, m- mainly because I said, uh, I think from an ethical point of view, it, uh, it, it, it doesn't reflect A, well on you as, as, as the client, or B, well on me either. As, you know, ultimately, I, 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 I enjoy teaching for the sake of enjoying teaching. So, um, so I, I put this to a, to a senior banker, and he says, "Thank you very much. I'll take your take your view." Um, and then two days later, um, he phoned me up and says, uh, "Here's a deal. Uh, I'll I'll pay you uh, an extra five hundred pounds a day to deliver it." I say, "Well, yeah, it's very kind of you, but you know, money isn't the isn't the motivator for me." Um, and then he says, "Ah, but another solution. I want you to call it advanced accounting for bankers rather than creative accounting for bankers." Uh, so we shook hands on it. Well, and you did it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I was, do you know what, Kieran? You've pulled the rug from under my feet there because I was just about to say, you're too honest, Kieran, you know that. <laughs> and, and then suddenly at the end, of you you went all Uncle Terry and found a way around the, around the problem. Um, <laughs> I was just thinking, what a, what a high integrity levels this man has. I don't deserve to share a pod with him. And he said, oh, no, he changed the name and I took the money. Oh, well, well I, I, I read yeah. a man for all seasons and it does say that every man has his price. <laughs> That's that's true. Yours is higher than mine. Um, and I'm going to do something here, Kieran, that I rarely do, which is be fair to Charlton fans, because I think if Charlton, Southampton and Norwich were relegated from the championships that season, that's three big clubs yeah, yeah. that were relegated, because it wasn't long since Charlton were an established Premier League team as well. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Our penultimate question. Sorry about the frog in my throat today. I have this thing, Kieran, that you know about, that our audience has this autoimmune disease called sarcoidosis. Uh, which occasionally dumps large amounts of glucose around my body, and it's done so in my throat recently. Right. Yes, it's um, it's very unusual. Um, uh, so I get specialist care. It's it's mainly prevalent in Afro Caribbean men over the age of seventy. So my wow. specialist, yeah, my specialist loves me, and I've heard some brilliant stories in the waiting room. Um, Ross Wood has our penultimate question, and Ross's question. <clears throat> excuse me, is about Wolves accounts. And I'm going to be honest with you here, Kieran, uh, writing this about half past nine last night. I can night. imagine. I, I, uh, I guess that. <laughs> in that in that mode, you know about an hour before match of the day where you're just in that mode where you're just praying for match of the day to be on. Uh, so I was writing this question. I, I had to have a couple of run-ups <laughs> and, and a visit to the fridge. Uh, but Ross Wood has this question about Wolves accounts. In the post-balance sheet events section, I saw that the club have increased their term loan to £60 million with an additional borrowing facility up to £15 million, so potentially up to £75 million. 
secured on future Premier League revenue. The full amount falls due in the event of relegation. Is this common practice? Uh, yes, <coughs> is is the short answer. Um, mm-hmm. and, the, and the slightly longer answer is that, uh, again, following on from COVID, uh, fo- football clubs in the Premier League uh, were were losing money. So, so Wolves Wolves lost forty million pounds in twenty twenty, even though it was only their yeah, it, was, it was only their second season in mm. the Premier League. And, th- and this is this is one of the things that we are seeing in the year they get promoted, they tend to make a small profit, and then the expectations of fans is spend more money. Players go to the club and say, well. Come on, folks! You know we've we've just allowed you to survive in uh, in your first season in the Premier League. We want more money as well. So all of this helps to drive up um, overall costs. So so Wolves did lose a lot of money, and therefore they can either go to their owners for a loan, uh, which in the, in the case of Wolves is Fosun, or they can look to third parties. So so getting loans which are secured on future TV monies is common. Leicester have done it. Sheffield United have done it. Uh, Southampton and other clubs. So this this is a very this is a very common feature. Um, you know the, the normal high street bank manager won't do this, but what the banks are doing is that they're setting up specialist units. So you've either got uh, precise banks or sort of you know, niche banks such as Macquarie involved, or if if it's the some of the larger banks such as the likes of Barclays and Santander, um, they will have a a specialist lending unit for a niche industry such as football, partly due to the fact that actually they're not particularly bothered about the loans to the clubs. They are trying to get into the players to provide uh, financial services for them. Right. Uh, because, yeah, football players, yeah, the, av- the average salary of, of, a, of a footballer is, yeah, is around about two and a half million pounds a year in the Premier League. Um, and being able to, to provide financial products for the players is actually very lucrative. So if the full amount falls due in the event of relegation, Kieran, I'm, I'm guessing that pre-parachute payment days, these loans wouldn't have been given. That, that's right. Yes. So, uh, you know, it, 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 parachute payments are, are a paradox. In an ideal world, do we want to get rid of them? Yes, because there's no need for them. But in, in the meantime, they do help clubs to, to A, survive in the Premier League by making them more competitive and B, in, if the worst happens, then, then it does give them a bit of leeway um, when they drop down into the championship. But I, I, I've been doing some research recently and clubs that get relegated to to the championship actually tend to be making higher average losses um, than the established clubs there. So, oh, okay. yeah, they're, 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 uh, yeah, But that does not mean at all that I'm advocating bigger parachute payments. I, I think they should be shorter and lower, mm. but uh, not not abolished altogether. It, but as Ross Wood points out, it, it doesn't give Wolves much leeway if they were to be relegated and £75 million of that parachute payment goes straight to paying back a loan. Yeah, yeah, it, it would force them to sell players. Cool, OK. So it's a risky loan move then, isn't it? There's, there's risks in all forms of borrowing, but if, if that also allows the club to survive and thrive in the Premier League, then, then that will be deemed to have been warranted. Yeah, our last question, Kieran, comes from. Uh, do you know, what? I'm going to. Uh, he's, he's from Brighton. It turns out, so I don't really care if I get his name wrong. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, <laughs> but it, it's D A U W A L D E R. There are so many potential 
combinations. It's Stuart Dalwalder. Let's go for the Stuart Dalwalder. Uh, and Stuart says, there's a lottery sleeps, sleepstake. Uh, sleepstake? I'll have one of those, yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll have two of the sleepstakes, please. Um, <laughs> that'll be a, a ribeye that's closed. <laughs> hey! Uh, hey, hey. <laughs> there's a lottery sweepstake at my work where myself and two friends have agreed that if we win, we'll buy a local football club. We're in Brighton. Uh, so presumably they work in a wind chime factory or a llama farm. Um, <laughs> So Stuart says, we've decided already that we'll buy Southwick or Shoreham. Um, if we win several millions, would this be a good idea or is football ownership at any level just not worth the risk? Um, and also, uh, also, sorry, Kieran, this is this is where it gets a bit awkward, Kieran. I don't know if I should, really should read this bit out, but Stuart says that Kieran marked some ACCA papers and I failed my last exam by a few percent. So the least he can do is answer my question. I'm not an expert. I'm really not an expert, Kieran, but I, I think throwing in phrases like a few percent may get you marked down in the first place, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ask, Kieran, I don't like the idea of you failing people. No, that's... I, I don't like failing people. I bet you I don't. Yeah, me. I'm, I'm, I'm desperate for validation and to be liked. Well, of course. Well, you know, maybe Stuart should have done what that American banker did and bunged you 500 quid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is it Southwick, uh, by the way? Was it one of those names? Yeah, where it's, it's, yeah, no, 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 it, it, it is Southwick. It is Southwick. Southwick. There's, okay. uh, there's, there's various shenanigans taking place in respect of Southwick at the present. Ooh. So, I oh, think well, it's like, uh, yeah. I think I think the club is sort of it, we, we've got a bit of an uh, uh, an AFC Berry situation arising oh, okay. there. <laughs> but uh, that that's that's for another show. Um, in in terms of advice to Stuart. Um, I, I think you could probably do 101 better things with your money uh, right. in terms of – because the thing is, s several millions won't get you that far. First of all, you've got to buy the club. Um, but then the, the big issue is, is you've got the overhead. So if, if, you, if you were taking over a club, let's say you got as far as National League, you, you'd be writing out a check for £1,000 a day. So yeah, that's that's on average, and, and some clubs are losing far more than that. Um, and, and ultimately, what are you doing? You'd be far better off just getting yourself, uh, you know, some some nicer seats. Uh, and uh, you know, you're, you you by, by all means, uh, you know, add, add a couple of craft ales to, uh, to 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 what's offered at Southwick. That I think that probably go get, go go down better because football fans are ungrateful. Yeah. Okay, I can assure you, you know. Um, uh, you know the Brighton owners put in four hundred million pounds, and there is a section of the fan base that does nothing but bitch that yeah. we're not spending. You know, spending other people's money is is a uh, is, is is a right, according to some. Um, and this is where I do feel uh, slightly uncomfortable. Yeah, and there's 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 big clubs out there who get exactly the same degree of grief because I think we've been conditioned, uh, and, and this is not having a pop at any media organization in particular, but we've been conditioned by the media to think that spending lots of money is, <laughs> is, is a sign of success, uh, is the right thing to do. Um, and then, you know, the, the next day they're wondering why clubs are on are about to go bust and, you know, that they're losing so much money and, and you can't have it both ways. Yeah. <clears throat> Brighton fans can't be happy, Kim, this week with the notion that they, will be charged £20 for transferring their ticket to somebody if they can't attend a match. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not happy about that 
uh, you know, I've I've paid for my season ticket. And and again, this goes back to something which we've discussed before. Um, you know, if I, I I've, I've got term starting soon in Liverpool, mm-hmm. so therefore I'm you know I'm I'm travelling up. Uh, you know, I'm commuting. If 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 a match gets transferred to four o'clock on a or four thirty on a yeah. on a Sunday, I can't go to it. Now I I or over the matches on a Monday because I've I've got yeah you know, and and I I'm a Saturday three p.m. guy. So you know it really galls me that it's going to cost me twenty quid extra to allow me to be able to transfer my season ticket to somebody else, and they've got to pay twenty quid to be part of the scheme as well. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's not a scheme which has gone down well with the fan base. Appreciate the club has got to uh, has got to look at all means of, of raising money, but you know. I bought the tickets in, in the belief that I'd be able to see us regularly on a Saturday. Um, and, and this, you know, this, this is, you know, I, I'll get on my soapbox about this. If Sky do change the matches, then I think fans should be entitled, you know, within within 14 days of that announcement to to send to send the ticket back to the club and get a refund and, and say to the club, it's now your problem to resell the ticket because you, you've you mucked up. You know, I've, I've got, I've gone, I've got, commitment to see my family i'm going to see the say the sisters of mercy or whatever it's going to be we, we can't be expected to change our lives at six weeks notice purely at the behest of bt and sky here, here. and it, it's it's not just brighton kieran other clubs in the premier league are doing it as well which probably is one of the drivers behind this ludicrous move to 100 percent digital tickets because they'll be much harder to transfer than just giving your wallet to a mate but it's it's short-sighted Kieran because your your seat that's left empty that that empty seat isn't spending 20 quid in the ground yeah you know if you give your ticket to somebody else who maybe doesn't go to a game very often they're going to be excited they're going to be buying pies and pints and that's money the club doesn't get and it's possibly likely to be more than the 20 quid they charge you it will you know it's just and also, just in terms of goodwill, it's just like season ticket holders should be rewarded, not not punished. I mean, these are the most loyal of your fans. It's like somebody was saying, you know, Palace have had terrible problems with ticketing, digital ticketing system. It's like, why not give all the season ticket holders 500 extra loyalty points? Yeah. just yeah. Or just something, or a free pie, just something to say, look, we're really sorry about this. It's it's a, We know it's a problem. And the, the words from the club have been fantastic. They've been very, very apologetic. But sometimes that's that's kind of not enough for, for people that have been following the club home and away for for years. Just throw us a little something as a as a thank you for your for the patience. Or, or on the other hand, you could beat Spurs three 0 Does that did it? <laughs> yes. no, no one was talking about tickets in the pub afterwards. Yes, yeah, well, well, we were we were serenading our our owner yesterday uh, with, with following the success of. Uh, uh, beating uh, beating Brentford, but during the match, and this was clearly slightly awkward for him because he's he's in amongst the fans, he's there with his young son, and as you know, we sold Ben White to uh, Arsenal uh, during the summer. Yeah. So the song was uh, fifty million in the bank. Tony Bloom is having a, <laughs> and he's looking slightly embarrassed, and, you know, and the, the hands are going over his son's ears. That's very funny. His son's heard that word before. I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh, no, that's one of our earlier stories. Maybe not in Brighton. You never know. Yeah, a, a friend of mine was, God knows why, because he's a wrongum, but he managed. <laughs> he got he got himself invited into the director's box at Palace yesterday. 
and and was just along the road from Daniel Levy and took great delight in sending us photographs that he took as each Palace goal went in. He took a <laughs> picture of Daniel Levy, who by the third goal was slumped in his seat, <laughs> uh, which is hilarious. But, it, that, but going back to the original question from Stuart, it's, it's amazing, Kieran, the lure of football for all fans is that we all say, and we've all mm. said it at some stage, mm, if, I have. Lot, if I win the lottery, I'm going to buy a football club. Because yeah. that, it's just something about that that glamour, that allure, that you know, and even though we know that it's a, it's a stupid thing to do, but it's just even the, just that association of of being part of a football club, of getting invited into boardrooms, and that, and essentially that's what happens to some well-meaning people who do buy clubs and get it wrong. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. Mark, Mark Goldberg, for example, was a Palace fan who bought who bought the club and regretted it. You know. Yeah, and and you, you can you know we, we you and I we both do the same, wouldn't we? Yeah, we, um, we, uh, it, it's it's part of the romance of the of the game, and and that's why there's this continual conveyor belt of, of people wanting to buy clubs. It, barely a week goes by these days when I don't get a call from some broker or lawyer or somebody to say such and such a club. How would you value yeah. it? Do could you give us a bit of an oversight of, of where their finances are because I've got a client who's interested, and uh, yeah, you, you're not doing that if uh, in, in the in the washing machine components industry, are you? Mm. I I don't think I would be buying a club, Kieran, even if I had the money because it's it's on Ali's to do list every day. Stop Kevin buying football club. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to go now, Kieran, because it seems that my dad is doing press ups on the sink, uh, right? Which is not a, which is not a, not a good look. Um, bless him. Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, if, you'd, if you'd like to make uh, a donation to our always free-to-air podcast, then that would be lovely of you. Please go to patreon.com forward slash price of football. And if you have any questions for our future questions pods, it's questions at price of football.com. Uh, yes, no, he's, he's doing press-ups. No, he's trying to do a pull-up on the bathroom door. All right. I'm, I'm going to have to put a stop. He's, he's 87, Kieran. He's, yeah, from South, yeah, yeah. He's, from, he's from South London, so, you know. He's turned the kitchen into an assault course. Why not? Uh, I was, while, I'm, while I'm sorting that out, I shall hand you over to Kira Maguire for his customary farewell. Uh, well, uh, once again, folks, uh, thanks for the support. Uh, in all means, putting us to rights um, where, we, where we've done wrongs, which, uh, which people <laughs> are very good at doing, uh, <laughs> and sometimes using some pretty direct language as well. Um, but if you want to support the support the podcast um yeah patreon's one vehicle for as little as a pound a month uh, alternatively just just go along to the apple podcast app and uh, and follow us there and if you can give us a five star review we do not understand why uh but it helps us uh, in the business you can write anything you want you can say uh you know the, the show would be better presented by gavin williamson and marcus rashford for example <laughs> and uh yeah that that will cause confusion I, I love that phrase. We've done wrongs. Oh <laughs> boy, have we done wrongs! Um, you know what I'm worried about with my dad is that he seems to have turned the kitchen into a prison gym. Oh, good grief! I know it worries me because maybe he wasn't in the merchant navy for two years after all. <laughs> well, ask him if he knows uh, Terry Maguire from from the <laughs> Elephant and Castle, and that will probably give you your answer. Everyone around here knows Terry Maguire. From the Elephant of the Castle, most of my street owes him money. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs>
provide some photo call.